the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Father's Day is a big deal. I'm really thankful for my dad because he's a perfect example of what we're talking about today, and that's humility. We're going to look at several stories that Jesus told, some specific things that Jesus told about that. But uh, my dad, as I was growing up, he taught me a lot of stuff. Um, He was always better at me. That better than me at just about everything. Anytime I played basketball or frisbee golf or anything, he was always beating me. Um, still does. <laughs> He's just good. I always wanted to get a little bit taller than him. He, he but the tallest I ever got is about five ten. He's six one, so that didn't work either. Um, but 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 he didn't rub it in my face. He he wasn't mean about it. He was humble. But here's what I'm really talking about. Somehow, some way, in between all the lectures and whatever else that he did that I I guess all dads do, somehow, here's what my dad got right. He communicated that this is just how you do it. This is how you live. And I'm not sure what he did. I'm not sure how that worked for me. I'm not sure why it works for some and why it doesn't work for others. But somehow, that's what my dad did for me. He led by example. And I, I, just, I just grew up knowing this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to go anywhere, do anything he calls you to do. This is, you, you serve people. You, it's not about you. Uh, all of the things that he was trying to show me, he showed me by example. And that's true humility. That's what Jesus does for us. He leads by example. He shows us exactly what it looks like and then asks, asks us to do the same. St. Augustine said, do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds, lay first the foundation of humility. And so again this morning, whether you're joining us online or wherever you're joining us, however you're joining us, I'm asking you this morning, let's remember together that we build everything on Christ's teaching. If we're his followers, he is the king. And he told us stories, not just things about that. He didn't just tell us about this kingdom or the way we should act in the kingdom. He told us amazing stories about a kingdom where everything seems backwards. It only works if you see it from his perspective. In his kingdom, the last are first and the first are last. To enter that kingdom, you have to become like a little child. The greatest has to be the servant of all. And he told us these wonderful stories. We're going to look at several of those. But first, again, this is how Jesus taught. And I want to use that model. I want to make sure we lay this foundation before we move on and make sure we get this. Because the other stuff won't make total sense unless we say this again first. Are you with me? And you just say this out loud with me. No one can earn salvation. Let's say it together. No one can earn salvation. We're going to say that one more time. I want to say something else first. There's no room for pride or prejudice in the kingdom of heaven. There's no room for pride and prejudice in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not trying to ban a Jane Austen book. I'm talking about actual pride and actual prejudice. It's not okay. And here's why. Let's say it together. No one can earn salvation. It's a gift he gives us. Everybody got that? Because everything else we're going to look at today tells us that these gifts are given for a reason. These gifts are given for us to use. These gifts are given with expectation and with power to actually do the things he's called us in to do. But we've got to remember it starts with a free gift that we can't earn that privilege. 
That's what this story is about. Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. By the way, today I'll be using the NIV and the NLT pretty much exclusively, switching back and forth. My dream is that you go back and use the sermon outline and the study questions on the back in any version that makes the most sense to you and you just really let God speak to you again through all of these. But Jesus said in Matthew 20, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master who went out and hired people to work in his vineyard. And in this story, he starts out, it's a little confusing time-wise. Depending on what version you're reading from, it may say times that we would recognize, like six in the morning or noon. Or it may say the first hour, the third hour, the uh, sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour. The, the original language used that, but that's not how we do time. So I, I, I'm going to try and just make it make as most sense as possible, put it in words we can understand today. And here, here's what he's talking about. In their workday, it was six to six. Okay, that was a work day in that era. Uh, we would be like nine to five, right? Yeah, working nine to five. Okay, but they would be like six to six. Uh, is it really different? But anyway, this guy, he goes out first thing in the morning. It's barely dawn, barely sunrise, and he recruits a bunch of people. And those people didn't do anything to earn this job. They didn't turn in any resumes. They didn't have anything to offer him except they were available. The job came because he had a vineyard and he had a job that he wanted done and he had money to pay people to get done. It wasn't exactly a free gift, but are you following where this is going? They did not earn the privilege to work for him. But he goes out and he says, I'm going to give each of you a denarius if you will come and work for me all day. What you need to know about a denarius, it's an ancient, that's what it looked like. It's an ancient Roman coin. But back then, that was a fair day's wage. That's so basically what we would call minimum wage or something like that today. It's, it's, it's an honest, good pay. It's not high pay, but it's fair. It's good. This guy's not ripping anybody off. And they're like, cool, let's do this. Well, that sounds fair. That sounds great. We're not doing anything. This guy's going to pay us. Let's go. So they start the day, but as the day goes by, he keeps going back and looking for more people because he needs more help. So at nine in the morning, he recruits some more people and they join the team. At noon, more people join the team. At three, more people join the team. And then it gets to about five. And in some translations, it says the 11th hour. That's the original language. But basically, that's five o'clock. And I, let me ask this. Has any of you ever worked in fast food or at a restaurant? Okay, so you guys know this then. The last hour is like nothing, right? That's when you're cleaning up and you're hoping and praying nobody else comes in. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're a waiter and, and somebody comes in and wants a table at like 10 minutes till closing time, you're not like, yes, more money for the corporation. You're like, are you kidding me right now? What are you doing? It's 10 minutes till closing time. This, okay, that's how they felt as these last people came in. It's the last hour. What are you going to do? Help us clean up? What's going on? So that, that's, that's kind of that 11th hour is kind of, that's not cool really. But he, he hired them in. So then it comes payday. How many have ever heard this story? They get paid at the end of the day. Good. So you already know where this is going. Jesus is throwing everybody a curve the first time they heard this. It lines everybody up and they start paying the people that came in last first. Those people came in at the 11th hour. They came in at five o'clock and maybe helped clean up. And he gives them a denarius, which is extravagantly crazy high for the little bit of work they did. But all the people at the front of the line, they get excited. They go, y'all, we just got a raise. Look at that. He gave those last people what he promised us at the beginning of the day, just to imagine what he's going to give us. 
And so it goes on down the line, but everybody gets a denarius. Everybody got a full day's pay, even though not all of them did a full day's work. And by the time it gets down to the first people, they're mad. They're not only judging all those other people that came in later in the day, they're judging the master himself for being unfair. They're ticked. What is going on? And to paraphrase a little bit, he says, it's my money. It's my land. You got nothing, nothing without me. Who are you to criticize what I do with my money and my time, how I hire people, how I fire people? What are you doing? It's kind of a crazy story. But Jesus uses it to explain that in the kingdom of heaven, things just work differently. He says the last will be first. The first will be last. And here's the beautiful, if disturbing, truth behind this. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us about his kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, our king is far too kind to give us what we actually earn. Every single time. No matter what we do, there is nothing we could do to earn our salvation. No matter how much we try, how, how hard we work, how early in our life we start, and how faithfully we keep serving him until the end, there's no way we can earn the chance that we've been given to know Jesus, to be on his team, to be his servants, let alone to be his children. But that's exactly what we've been given. And he also gives us grace and he gives us love. He gives us gifts that require us to work together. And he gives us responsibilities to get done. See, great fathers know this. They know that you don't just lavish gifts on your children if you want them to be great people and enjoy life. That you give them opportunities and expectations. You give them gifts, but you also give them responsibilities. You give them grace because they will mess up, but you also give them faith and hope and love. You never stop believing that at some point they will get it right, that they still can if they just turn that corner and come back. You keep giving them the opportunity. You give them the ability to fail and the ability to succeed. You give them all the tools that they need, but you give them a real responsibility, real choices. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one another. Let's not cheapen this beautiful statement, this command from Jesus. And imagine that all he's talking about is how we feel about each other. Or about trying to be polite to people we don't agree with. He's talking about this kind of love, the kind of love where you extend not only grace to other people, but you actually put some trust in them. You put some, you've got hope for them. You give them responsibility as you, as they join the team. That's hard to do, isn't it? Matthew 7, Jesus says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
And that story, again, I pointed it out as we told it. But don't forget, those people, those employees, were judging the master for doing exactly what he said he was going to do. But also being generous on top of that to other people. This is the danger that happens as we tend to judge not only each other, but even God himself by standards that we make up, ideas that we make up about what's true and real and fair and good. It just doesn't work. God will never play by our rules. It's his kingdom, and no matter how backwards or upside down it seems to us, it plays by his rules. Here's another story that Jesus told. Actually, in this one, it's almost like a story that's happening, and Jesus turns it around and gives him this really cool picture. He's been invited to a Pharisee's house, and as, he, as everybody shows up, he notices they're all jockeying for position to sit at the most important seats. The best way I can kind of relate this to American culture is, you know how at holidays, there's always the adult table and the kids table? And as soon as anybody's not like a little, little kid, they always want to be at the adult table. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Okay. And, and, and there's always like, I don't know that we really have certain spots around the table. Sometimes being at the head of the table is a big deal. Is that how it is in some of y'all's house? Okay. At least a few of you, you know what I'm talking about. But here's, here's the thing. Back then, that was a big deal. Where you sat in relation to everybody else was a big deal. And Jesus says, look, when you are invited to a meal, take one of the humble seats You'll sit at the kids' table, if you will. Maybe that's where you'll end up, but at least then there's a chance maybe somebody will come and ask you to move up. They'll ask you to come join the adults. So you'll get a better seat. Maybe not, but if anybody comes to tell you to move, you're going to move up. Moving on up. And that's a good thing, right? You got two bonus songs today. Here we go. But... He says, if you invite others to a meal that you serve, here's what you need to do. Well, first, let me tell you, this is kind of the moral of the story of that first image he gave us. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now he says, when you invite others, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We always want to look out for number one. It's natural in our world to, to, to try to, it's all about me. It's what I want. It's what I feel. It's my rights. It's my desires. And if somebody else is going to be in my life, they need to play by my rules. And if not, they don't need to be part of my life. That's not how the kingdom of heaven works. It's the opposite, really. He actually expects us to treat others the way he treats us. He tells us a story about that in Matthew 18. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Settle accounts. That means... This guy actually owes him a lot of money. He really owes it. This is not the king being mean to him. This guy has borrowed a bunch of money and he should pay it back. He owes him stuff. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him 
canceled the debt and let him go. Let's pause for just a second. Did he deserve that? Is that what he earned? Was this just? Was this fair? No. You could argue that it's right, but it's not fair. You could argue that it's just, but it's not fair. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. I've never been to prison, thank God. I don't know if anybody in this room has, or I know we have several people in our church that actually work in prisons. But here's what I hear. You don't make a lot of money in prison. If you owe any money at all, let alone an obscene amount of money, you're not going to pay that back in prison. In other words, this is a life sentence for 100 silver coins. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. You hear what God added this time? This guy's not just thrown into prison. He's thrown into prison to be tortured till he pays back. He's going to be tortured the rest of his life. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you... Wait, what? This is still Jesus talking. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Do we earn our salvation? No. But are there expectations about what we're supposed to do? Yes. And Jesus has stories that seem to conflict with each other, but they don't. They harmonize. He's got stories that talk about we don't earn our way into heaven, but he's got a lot more stories that say once you're on the team, you've got work to do and you better get it done. Let's talk about Tolkien for just a second, if, they, if we can. In this series, if you're new to this, uh, you can go back and see some of it online. This is just the third week. But this particular series, we're going to look at a little snippet from The Lord of the Rings each time that harmonizes with some of these great stories that Jesus told. And here's one of the reasons why uh, these stories are so great. Tolkien was part of a group called the Inklings. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and several others, they were all top-tier scholars and authors and experts on a whole bunch of different things in this era. And every Tuesday, they would meet at this little place called the Eagle and Child, and they would show each other all the work that they're working on. They'd get advice on the different things that eventually became the Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, many, many other projects. They were all top-tier guys. I'm telling you, they were experts on history and literature. They all spoke multiple languages. They were all individually pretty successful. But part of the reason was because they committed to do life together in this way. 
They worked together. They bounced ideas off of each other. They held each other accountable. They held each other to a higher standard than they could have gotten by with just kind of winging it on their own and being at the top of a food chain. And they all intentionally worked the truth into their work. That's why the Lord of the Rings has so much gospel in it. Not everything, but there's so much in it. For example, the character Aragorn. He's originally known as Strider. Long, people who really knew who he was, they knew he was the rightful king of the land. But forever, they just knew him as somebody who kind of guarded the Shire, where the hobbits lived. Nobody really knew why for a long, long time because nobody really cared about the hobbits at that point. Nobody really saw them as important in that world. It just, but, but, but he was there to just guard them, and he was okay with that. And even once they formed what they called the Fellowship of the Ring, and he kind of rose to the top naturally as the leader, he was a team player. He was strategically utilizing the gifts and the resources of everybody on the team constantly. And he always gave everyone full credit for any part that they played. It was not about him. It was not his story about he was going to rise to the top and become the king. It was about getting the job they'd all committed to get done, done, and doing it together. And that's why they loved him, and that's why they followed him. If you remember two weeks ago, I showed you a clip of Gandalf, who represents Jesus in some other ways, coming to the rescue. And right before that, there's a little conversation where Aragorn looks at the king of Rohan, and he says, ride out with me, ride out and meet them. He's asking him to go fight the war with him, with him, not instead of him. He's not sending him to war. He's saying, come fight with me. And the king of Rohan replies, for death and glory. And Aragorn says, for Rohan. It's not about you and me. It's about the cause. And he challenged them to follow his example. Every single time that he sent people into battle, he was at the front of the line. One of my favorite speeches that he gives in there, he says, Stand your ground, sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all the bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. Notice that he's not saying, I am the rightful king, put your faith in me and just go get the job done. He's saying, we are in this together and we are going to make sure that we don't drop the ball today. That is so much how our King of Kings leads us. No one deserves power, glory, authority more than Jesus. Nobody ever could, nobody ever will. And yet he was constantly leading by example, humbling himself, and he was constantly trying to get the other leaders to stop being all about pride and prejudice. Luke eleven forty three. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and there, I, I, here's me being humble. There's a huge typo on this one. Uh, I, I just got back from vacation. I submitted everything before I left. Nobody had a chance to edit it. This is supposed to say, "Woe to you, Pharisees!" And it says, says, "Wow to you, Pharisees!" So there you go. Well to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Jesus, he's constantly telling them that's not what it's about. Here's what it is about. Say this out loud with me, if you will. 
We share what we've been given. Would you say that? We share what we've been given. What do you do with an amazing gift? Well, first of all, you accept it, right? It's nothing if you say, no, I won't take it. But if you take it, it's not about that you earned it, but you take it. At least the gift has connected now. The purpose of the gift giver is being done by you accepting it. And you say, thank you. But then it's something that you share, you pass on. Uh, today we're handing out donuts because it's, it's Father's Day and donuts for dads kind of has alliteration and it's kind of fun. It's for everybody. It's at the end here. Help yourself even if you already got some. We don't need a bunch of donuts just sitting around here all week. You can take some home if you need to. Happy birthday or actually, no, happy Father's Day. Okay? But seriously, if somebody gives you a donut, you eat it, right? If somebody gives you a box of donuts, you eat one and you share I hope some of you might just eat all of it, but I, I, that would ruin what I'm trying to get across here. We share what we've been given. We, listen, when we begin to understand just what Christ has given us, when it starts to finally connect just what he's given us, what we have been given that we could never have earned it on our own, when we start to understand the example that he has set for us, when we start to see exactly what's actually going on, when we start to see through the kingdom eyes instead of worldly eyes, when it starts making sense, we can't help but start to share that with other people even if they're ungrateful. Luke 14, Jesus tells another story. He says, a man once came, a man, I'm sorry, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. If you're not picking up on these, these are really lame excuses. So the servant came and reported those things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Did anybody in this story earn the invitation? Nobody. But some of them accepted it. And they're the ones who got to come to the banquet. The ones who made up excuses did not, even though they were also invited. Again, do we earn our salvation? Do we have a responsibility to accept it and share what we've been given? Again, it's not a contrast. It's not Jesus conflicting. It's not him saying, oh, you don't earn it. You don't owe anything. Oh, you owe everything. It's both. He's inviting you into a family that does things, inviting you into a team that does things, inviting you into a body that works together, inviting you into an army that accomplishes things as a unit. Jesus models this perfectly. Aragorn does a really good job as well. There's a scene where this ring of power is actually offered to him. If you've read these books or watched the movies, this makes more sense. If not, just, just imagine this is the thing everybody's fighting over. He's the rightful king, and they offer it to him. 
And he turns it down. He presses the guy's hand back and he shoves it back toward the guy's chest. And he says, I would have gone with you to the end into the very fires of Mordor. In other words, I would have protected you, but I can't even be around you now. If you're going to try and hand me that, I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't do that. Later on, the biggest, most important battle probably that he fights is near the end. And it's basically just to buy this guy named Frodo time. But he doesn't say, for glory, for death. Just remember, if anybody survives this, I led you into battle. It's not about him at all. He says, for Frodo. And they run in. I'm going to show a clip here. This is his coronation. Watch and listen the attitude that he has. Then we're going to wrap this thing up. This day does not belong to one man, but to all. Let us together rebuild this world that we may share in the days of peace. My friends, you bow to no one. Just to be clear, there will never be any moment and never should be where Jesus bows to us. Please don't misunderstand what this is. This is just an ultimate example in this story of the attitude that Jesus had and the attitude that Jesus asked us to have. See, the, the best way to accept and use the gifts that he gives us for free is to learn to be like our king by serving him. Here's how Paul said it in Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. He said, your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, and became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If you're a dad this morning, I hope you don't give up. I hope that you get refreshed by this today and just learn that, that just remember that we all serve by humility. We lead best by setting a good example. We lead best by just doing what we're asking somebody else to do. And if you're a mom or you're a boss, you're an employer, you're, you're a teacher, you're any other kind of a leader in any capacity at all, I, I implore you to remember this. We are supposed to follow the example of Jesus. And maybe you feel like you're not in charge of anything. Maybe you're a kid or you're uh, an employee or, or, or you report to somebody else. The way you treat everybody should be the way Jesus treats you. The way you do your job, the way you, the way you, every part of everything that you do should be modeling this kind of humility. 
Every day we should remember that we did not earn the privilege to be his children, but we've been given it and we've been given the responsibility to share it. We live our lives learning every day to be like our king. And I don't know about you, but I need his help to do that every single day. We're going to stand. We're going to sing one final song. And as always, we're going to give you a chance to make a public decision if you have one that needs made. If you'd like to join our church officially, all that means is we say, hey, now we know your name and, and welcome. And you can start serving the community with us. It's not a big pressure thing, but you're welcome to do that. If you've never come to Jesus and you'd like to give your life to him today, we invite you to do that. We've got a baptistry ready and ready to go. If you've never been baptized, we would love to walk you through that. We would love to just help you in any way to make the choice. But listen, no matter if, if you've served Jesus forever, let's all sing how much we need him this morning. Let's recommit to live humbling ourselves under him and living in the kind of humility that he's told us to live in.